0: All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good? Awesome. Um, so like you heard of the kids' message, we're going to be talking about Moses. Um, this is a passage where God tells him to remove his sandals for he's standing on holy ground. So I thought it'd be a little bit comical if I were to be extra tall, taller than I already am, with some heels that contrast John Ray's ever-so-present Chacos. Um, But we are going to read some scripture together. I'm going to share a little bit of my story and how it parallels to Moses' story. But before we really, really jump in, let's um, pray. So if you would bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, it is such a blessing to be able to call you our Father. It is such a blessing that you have revealed your name to us so that we know how to relate to you. And God, I just pray that today um, you would just speak through me that you would be with me. Um, And God, ultimately, that none of the words I share today would be my own, but echoing 1 Peter 4, Lord, that if I speak, I speak your words. And God, I just thank you that you have given us another day of life, another day of purpose to complete the good works which you have prepared in advance for us to do, like you tell us in Ephesians. And Lord, I just thank you that we are able to be here today. I know that there are many who are not here. um, And I just pray that you would be with them Um, that you would be with their health, that you would protect them, Lord, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I also pray for those who um, have received hard news, Lord. I pray that you would just comfort them today and meet them where they're at. Um, And Lord, ultimately, I just pray that um, if there's anything that I share that is not of you, that it will go in one ear and out the other. But if there's anything that I share that is of you, Lord, that it will just impact not only our hearts and our minds, um, but it will truly stick with us and impact how we live our lives. Um, I just pray also that you would use me in this time as a sharpened tool, a mighty weapon for your kingdom, um, and that I would just be hiding behind your cross and that you would be glorified. And I pray that the enemy would have no hold over this time, but that you would release your angels to protect us. And I ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name above all other names. Amen. Um, Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but when I'm sitting there instead of up here mic'd up, I always wonder a little bit about the person who is sharing. And so I've gotten a chance since I've moved here to Fayetteville to meet some of you guys, and it's been awesome. But there's still many of you that I don't know, so I figured it might be helpful if I share a little bit about my background. So I'm from Dallas. I moved here to Fayetteville this past June. Um, I'm here because I'm a missions mobilizer with the CMM, the Center for Mission Mobilization, and we have a training that lasts from fall, from, I guess, lasts throughout the fall from August to December. So I'll be here at least through that time, and then most likely I'll be launching to Mexico City early this year and be a missions mobilizer in Mexico. Um, It's also worth noting that a little bit of my background that actually is similar to Moses in a way, you wouldn't really guess by looking at me that I am half Brazilian, um, or that this is my built-in interesting fact. So you know those times when you meet a new group of people and they have you sit around in a circle, introduce yourself and say something interesting about yourself? My built-in interesting fact is that my first language is Portuguese. So unless you already knew me, or you were here the first day that I came to this church, which also happened to coincide with Brazil's opening match in the Women's World Cup, (laughs) Uh, I was wearing this this shirt that was the Brazilian flag made entirely of sequins. (laughs) So that might ring a few bells, but if you didn't know that, you probably wouldn't guess that I'm Brazilian. Um, But what's interesting is I would definitely say I have a full bicultural background. I would fully claim America. I would fully claim Brazil. And it's interesting because Moses could do the same thing. Um, He was living in two worlds. For me, it's Brazil and America. For him, it was Egypt and the Hebrew world. Um, But without any further ado, we're going to compare our stories a little bit more as we go. Let's go ahead and read the scripture together and uh, buckle up because it is a lot to read. All right. So, all together, then a new king who did not know about Joseph, can't hear you guys, came to power over Egypt. He said to his people, look at the Israelite people, more numerous and stronger than we are. Come, let's deal wisely with them. Otherwise, they will continue to multiply. And if a war breaks out, they will ally themselves with our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put foremen over the Israelites to oppress them with hard labor. As a result, they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. As a result, The Egyptians loathed the Israelites, and they made the Israelites serve rigorously. They made their lives bitter by hard service, with mortar and bricks, and by all kinds of service in the fields. Every kind of service the Israelites were required to give was rigorous. Okay, and pause. (laughs) So we're going to skip now just for the sake of time from Exodus 1 to Exodus 3. So nutshell of Exodus 2 before we pick up reading again. All right. Pharaoh has this edict where all the Israeli firstborn sons must be killed at birth. So in order to save him, Moses' mother puts him in a basket. Pharaoh's daughter finds him in this basket that was sent down the, the Nile, adopts him, and names him Moses. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. And after he had grown up, he sneakily kills an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew who Moses does acknowledge is one of his own people. Pharaoh finds out about this, tries to kill him, and Moses flees to Midian, where he meets and marries Zipporah, and they have a son. So that's basically the majority of the Prince of Egypt movie. And now we're back to Exodus 3, where we can continue reading. Okay. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. He looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, And Moses said, Here I am. God said, Do not approach any closer. Take your sandals or your chacos off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the region of, here we go, the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Well done. And now indeed the cry of the Israelites has come to me. And I have also seen how severely the Egyptians oppressed them. So now go, and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He replied, Surely I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God on this mountain. Last slide Moses said to God, If I go to the Israelites and tell them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, You must say this to the Israelites. I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, You must say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial from generation to generation. Whew, all right, it's a long passage. So as you can imagine, when we were looking at this as a teaching team, we thought of so many different directions this could go. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, it's really hard for me to not just pull apart every possible angle, and I really want to just examine it all. But we have limited time. So um, there's just a couple of things we talked about on the teaching team that I think are worth sharing with you guys. We had considered focusing on how God reveals his name to Moses. If you remember to last week's message, how we name something influences how we view it, how we respond to it. And the fact that here God reveals his name for the first time is beautiful and really profound. Another direction we thought about taking this was how Moses' story points to Jesus, like so many things in the Old Testament. And that's something I really wish we could could pull apart. But I would really encourage you guys in your own study to look at how Moses' story, Joseph's story. Basically, the whole Old Testament, how it all points to Jesus, even seemingly little things like instructions for building the tabernacle, all point to him. (sighs) But as I was praying, as we further discussed, um, it became just more clear that I really should parallel my story to Moses' story. And so often, really the only sermons I look up are just pure exegetical teachings. And it really kind of pains me that this isn't going to be just a, a straight exegesis. But there's tons of people who can do an exegetical preaching of this passage, right? Tons. But as of as it stands now, there's only one who can share my story, along with Moses' story. In Revelation 12, 11, this was the straw that broke the camel's back, it does tell us that Satan is ultimately defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the saint's testimony, the word of our testimony. So I'll be sharing some of my testimony. Um, but let's right now, let's just think about how God speaks to Moses. I mean... He's just having a normal day of work, right? Watching his little flock, maybe a big flock, I don't know. And all of a sudden, there's this bush that's on fire. I don't know about you guys, but I've never once walked down the street, you know, seen my neighbor's rose bush aflame, you know, let alone burning, but still like green, green little leaves. I've never seen that before. And maybe you have. Maybe God's talked to you through a bush like that. He's done it before, obviously. He can do it again. And you know, that's not typically how it happens, Sometimes it's a burning bush. Sometimes the skies part. But sometimes it's just impressed on us. Sometimes it's audible. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just the words that we hear and read in this book, right? And so that's something important to notice, too, is that there's nothing special about the bush itself. There's nothing special about the skies themselves when they do part. There's nothing even special about these pages. What makes it special is that God's spirit is in it, right? God's spirit was in the bush. That's what caused it to be this incredible story that we read. You know, this is normally, the story is normally titled Moses and the Burning Bush, not even Moses and the Spirit of God. And it's only because the Spirit of God is in it that it's special. But let's think, I mean, Moses knew it was an important and impactful moment when God's talking to him through this bush. So it might be worthwhile to look at how he responds So when God calls out to Moses and he's like, Moses, Moses, Moses' first answer is, here I am. How often do we respond to God like that? How often do we respond to our spouses, our kids, our parents like that? You know, when my mom calls me into the kitchen, I know it's going to be like I have to clean something or I'm going to have to cook something. I mean, there's very few times I've been like, here I am, mom ready to take out the trash or cook or clean, whatever, you know? But that's how Moses responds to God. And interestingly, he is definitely not the only one. So there are some pretty heavy hitters. If you guys look at this list up here, Abraham, Jacob, that's two of our forefathers. I don't know what happened with Isaac. Uh, Isaiah, Samuel, they all have a response of here I am. So to get this to stick, I want you guys to say the words "Here I am" as I read through these verses. So I'm going to read Genesis 22:11. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, "Abraham, Abraham!" And Abraham said, "Here I am." Genesis 31:11. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, "Jacob," and Jacob said, "Here I am." Isaiah 6:8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send? And who will go for us?" Then Isaiah said. Here I am. There we go. And this one might be hard to read. 1 Samuel 3:4. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel said? Here I am. Man, you guys. These aren't, we're not throwing in like Dorcas and Bezalel, you know? These are like big players in the Bible. Abraham, Jacob, Isaiah, major prophet Samuel, who anoints the first king of Israel. Moses, I don't know about you. I'm tempted to believe that this might be an example that we should follow. And so I do want to share a story of one time that I did follow this example. And later I'll share a story of a time that I did not follow this example. Um, But just like Moses, when God first called to him and he just goes, Moses, Moses, Moses goes, here I am. I also had a moment like that. So this, we're going to throw this back to fall of 2014 for me to share this story with you. I was studying abroad in Spain. You'll notice Spain at the top in the gray. You'll notice that it almost touches Morocco on the very left, the west coast of Africa. And so when I was studying in Spain, we got an opportunity to actually go to Morocco. And we spent that time in the Sahara Desert, mind you, the same Sahara Desert that Moses was living in, in Egypt. So God also prepared me, just like He did Moses, in the Sahara Desert. And this was an incredible experience. We camped out, for the most part, in the desert for the majority of the five days we were there. We were in this fabric tent compound, and I rode a camel in the Sahara. I went sandboarding, didn't even know what that was before I went there. I was playing drums with these nomadic Berber peoples who still live like they did a thousand years ago. They have the turbans, and they still move nomadically throughout the desert, these Muslim Berbers. It was... Easily top three travel experiences of my life, and I do travel a lot, so that is saying something. But what's interesting is that it wasn't those experiences that really stuck with me. What stuck with me was just one moment, one moment, where my eyes were opened. So I had been spending a lot of time with these Muslim Berber people, and I remember being surprised at how well we got along, at how fun they were, how hospitable, how playful the kids were. And then I was like, wait a minute, why am I surprised? That's not a default setting. I've never once left lunch with a new friend and just thought, oh, I'm so surprised Sally and I got along. That's not a natural response. So then I thought, "Uh uh-oh, does that maybe reveal a little prejudice in me? Wow, you guys, that is when I realized I was about 10 years old when 9-11 happened. So my first interaction with the Muslim people is what I heard from the media after the Muslim extremists had knocked down the Twin Towers. I was about 10 years old when that happened. And it's not like I could have stopped this prejudice from building in me. I didn't know. That's smack dab in the middle of my formative years. But for about 10 years, I carried this prejudice around without even knowing it was there. But that day, it was shattered. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Shattered and completely replaced with this overwhelming love for the Muslim people. Oh, my gosh, the only way I can think of to describe this is um, with using the Grinch as an example. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that coming. Um, so, I'm assuming most of us here have, are familiar with the Grinch to some extent, book or movie, but towards the end of the story, the Grinch realizes the error of his ways, and his little heart breaks a little x-ray machine to give you the visual, and what they say, is the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. And although it's cheesy, you guys, my heart grew three sizes that day for the Muslim people. It really did. And I just had this love for them. And so once a love for Jesus is wrapped up in that, it's like, how can you love someone without caring about their soul? You know? And so then it turned into just, not just a love for them, but a like, how do I bring them to the hope and light of the world? It was just a perfect storm. And so I was just hungry. I was like, how are Muslims coming to Christ? I started reading books about Muslims having dreams and visions of Jesus. I started going to Muslim outreach trainings and conferences and all sorts of things, just hungry to know how I could play a role in bringing Muslims to Christ. But oddly, although I had traveled much in my life, although I lived abroad and loved other cultures and other people, I never once thought, I only traveled for fun. I never really thought, oh, maybe I'll travel for Jesus. It just didn't click. Until three years later, when I had what might be called a burning bush moment. So just like with Moses, how before the burning bush, it was just a normal day for him, right? He's just walking about, you know, looking after his sheep. Well, me and my mom, we were just walking to church, just casual day. At the time we were going to a little Brazilian church in Dallas, and we're just walking to church. Walk through the door and the pastor stops me and he says, hey Kelsey, I have a word for you. Could you and your mom meet with me later this week? I had no idea what that meant. I didn't grow up in a background that talked about prophecy or tongues or anything like that. But I was like, okay, sure, pastor, you got a word for me, I guess we'll meet with you, whatever that means. So we met with him and he started telling me things about my life that I had never told anybody. And I mean, I was really skeptical. But he started telling me things that I I didn't even know how to put into words myself, and in such detail, in such depth, that only God can know, that eventually, through the skepticism, I was like, you have my full attention, sir. And then he told me that I would go down to Latin America, and then to Brazil, taking the word of God everywhere that I went, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But I was also thinking, please say North Africa or the Middle East, so I can take it to Muslims. And then he did say that while I would physically go down to Latin America, I would also help spread the word in North Africa and the Middle East. And I was like, this is it. (laughs) It was like something was unlocked in me. I just realized this was truly the deepest desire of my heart, what I wanted to do for the Lord. And so the pastor went on to say, he's like, none of this will happen when you think it will, how you think it will. You won't do anything. God will pave the way. You just have to start walking. And I was like, that was my moment where I'm like, here I am, Lord. You start paving because I'm ready to start walking. But it wasn't until six months later that any of this actually came to fruition, right? And the thing is, although I said here I am then, I I don't say that every time. Sometimes I respond with the wrong question or the wrong answer. And Moses did too. So let's look at how Moses responds. He goes from a here I am, Lord, to a totally different question you want to pull up that slide? All right, so I'll just read this to us. I've made you guys read a lot today. This is the here I am. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. We're all familiar with it. God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet or chocos from the place where you're standing for the place where you're standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God, a reaction we sometimes have as well. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land, from that land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the region of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now indeed, the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I've also seen how severely the Egyptians oppressed them. So now go, and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Notice how Moses had previously said, here I am. But now Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh, or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God replied, surely I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God on this mountain. So that's quite a switch from here I am, sounds pretty assured in who he is, here I am, to who am I? And what's really interesting is that we know that's the wrong question because God didn't answer his question. When Moses said, who am I? God didn't say, oh, Moses, this is who you are. No, he said, surely I will be with you. Isn't that beautiful? Think of how profound that is. When we look to the Lord and we say, God, who am I? And he responds, surely I will be with you. Something that we see a lot in scripture, isn't it? Fear not, for I am with you. And Jesus' final words, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Oh, wow. And so clearly, we're asking the wrong question. And so often, we can seek who we are. We can look at our horoscope or Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or an aptitude test. But what if we looked to God first and said, God, who are you? Instead of who am I? Would we maybe have a better understanding of not only who we are, but also who he is? If we looked to him first? I think so. And that leads me and to why I think so, because I've asked the wrong question many, many a time in my life and still do, and I recognize it as the wrong one. But I do have another story that parallels that question with Moses when he says, who am I? And this um, was a day that I was really wrestling with God. I had applied at this time to the CMM, the Center for Mission Mobilization, but I had also applied to Pioneers and their mission organization. With Pioneers, I knew that I would be going to the Muslim world, myself, sharing the gospel, and that's what I wanted to do. And then with CMM, I knew that I'd be mobilizing others to do the same. You know, way less exciting. Um, So this one day, it was really crucial that I I get back to CMM with a response. They had just offered me a position, and there was only three weeks until required training in Malaysia. (laughs) Um, That's only offered once a year. So I was like, I need to get back to CMM today about whether I'm going to accept this or not. So I was like, really, I was walking around this little pond, and I was really heavy praying. I was like, okay, God, where do you want me? CMM? Pioneers. I felt like I was at a fork in the road. And so as I was going and just walking and just just walking, like CMM Pioneers, CMM Pioneers, God audibly spoke to me. Audibly spoke to me. And I was hit with this wave of peace and I was just floored. I mean, God, he said, he goes, Kelsey, you were prepared for CMM. I was blown away. I was so touched that God, the way I thought about it, which doesn't, isn't really real, I was like, I can't believe God would take time out of his day to speak to me. <laughs> which that's not how it works. He's not stuck in time. But I was so, and it was just like, it wasn't like a heaven's parting, but it was like a heavier than a thought and like right in my ear. It was just so intimate and so specific to what I'd been praying about. I was, I was amazed. But then I was like, okay, but like, who am I? <laughs> and I started to kind of asking all these little questions like, okay, but God, what about this? What about that? Blah, blah, blah. And then his voice came again and he goes, I have you in my hands. Sounds a lot like surely I will be with you, doesn't it? I will have you in my hands. So he didn't tell me who I was either. He said, I've got you. Oh, gosh, if we're talking about discovering grace, could it be filled with more grace than that? Like, Kelsey, don't even worry. I have you in my hands. Surely I will be with you. And it's like, oh, huh, yeah. You did say that all the time in the Bible. And, huh, you are capable of... Interesting, yeah. I I think my perspective might have been a little skewed. My bad. You know? God is just so good. So, so good. And so it's important to know how we should respond, right? We should respond with, here I am, and who God is. But we can't really respond right if we don't know where to look for the question that he's asking us or where to look for what he's telling us. And I think a lot of times we do look for an actual burning bush It's like, well, if God audibly talked to me, then sure, maybe I'd go, go too. But it wasn't just like that, right? It's not, you don't always have a burning bush. You guys, this is our burning bush. Because remember, what made the bush special? God's Holy Spirit was in it. God's telling us stuff. Thousands of words that he's written down. He wants to talk to us every day. He has things to share with us. He has direction and guidance in the same message he told Moses, he tells us repeatedly over and over and over again in his word. Jesus tells us that to go, make disciples of all nations. Here he's telling him to go and bring my people back to me. It's all here. And so something else that's interesting too is when God told Moses what the sign was going to be, that it was actually God who sent him. He said that you and my people, you and the Israelites, will worship me on this mountain. So it's like, just imagine this. Hey God. I know you just told me that I'm going to go take the gospel to Latin America and spread it to the Middle East, but how do I know it's going to be you? And he's like, oh, well, when all the people that you've talked to are worshiping me together. But God, so I'm just supposed to believe it's you now? Like, that's after the fact. Isn't that interesting? God said the sign will be when it's done. Huh, well, that's not very helpful, God. But he's like, oh, but surely I'll be with you. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, and so that was really what happened to me. It's, God told me, this stuff is going to happen. You're going to go down to Latin America, then to Brazil, also spreading the word North Africa and the Middle East. And I was like, sweet. But it wasn't until six months later that any of that sort of came to fruition. And it wasn't until that training in Malaysia. So God talked to me and said, Kelsey, you were prepared for the CMM. And I said, okay, CMM, I'm in. I go to that training in Malaysia. And while I'm there, that's when I found out that the purpose for the Latin America team with CMM is to mobilize believers to take the gospel to the Muslim world. I was like, get out of town. That's why God got me excited about CMM. I had no idea. And before I had prayed and I'd asked the Lord, I was like, God, I don't know where you want me. Because remember, it's not about me. It's about him, right? It's like, I don't want to go to Latin America, God. But CMM wants me to. But that's boring. I'm already Latin American. I want to go somewhere new and exotic, and there's no Muslims there. I might as well stay here, you know? Same amount of Muslims there and here. And he just, the next day I woke up, so I'm like, okay, God, this, this was my prayer. Sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. This was my prayer. I said, God, I don't know where you want me, but the CMM clearly wants me in Latin America. Just align my heart with yours. Put me where I'm most effective for your kingdom, what's most strategic for you. I go to bed. I wake up the next morning so jazzed. I was like, yeah, Latin America, sounds great complete heart 180, which God did not have to do. He did not have to get me excited about where he was sending me. He does sometimes. He gave Moses conditions and said, okay, sure, Moses, you don't speak. Sure, bring Aaron along. But he didn't do that with Jonah. He was like, all right, Jonah, you don't want to do it? Well, here, you're in the belly of a smelly fish and you're going to still be angry about it after it's done. He did not have to align my heart with his. He could have just told me, sorry, Kelsey, I know you don't want to, but this is what we're doing but he didn't. He was so gracious. He was so gracious, right? But I was still confused. I was like, okay, God, you got me excited about Latin America. This is great. But what about my heart for the Muslim people? All the ways I've been equipped and trained and prepared. How does this line up? And then when I was at that training was like, oh, that's how it lines up. I'm going to Latin America, but mobilizing people to go to all these people that I was mobilized to reach. This is great. And I also found out that the next location the CMM wants to open is in Sao Paulo, Brazil, right? Where my family is from. And you guys, not only does that match my heart, that matches the prophecy from six months before that, that I would go down to Latin America and then to Brazil, taking the word of God everywhere that I went, and the people I'm equipping and discipling are taking the word to North Africa and the Middle East. So that's the sign to me that that was God. But in the meantime, before that happened, I was here. I was communing with the Father, just like Moses. God didn't say, all right, Moses, go get my people, and then you're gonna worship me on this mountain, so see you then. You know, Moses wasn't like, sweet, God, okay, plagues. You know, every single step of the way, he was like, God, what do you want me to do? What do I do? You told me to do this thing, and I'm here, and I'm confused, and everyone's complaining, and now the work's harder for them, and why did you send me here? And God's like, I'm with you, Moses, fear not, and told him every step of the way what to do. So it wasn't like I heard that prophecy and was like, sweet, here I go, hopefully he's paving because I'm walking. Now I went here, you guys, you have to read, you have to pray. God guides us and he talks to us, his spirit is living and active, his word is living and active. The thing is, it's sharper than any two-edged sword capable of separating soul from spirit, right? And I want to be honest with you guys. There's, I really couldn't discern what was my voice and what was God's until I had read through this whole thing. I didn't know. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I just feel like eating the donut. Is God telling me to eat the donut? I don't know, you know? And this will separate our sinful souls from God's Holy Spirit. But if we're not in this, we won't be able to distinguish that we won't be able to separate it. So that is the big takeaway I want, is that this is our burning bush. When we want answers, when we're looking for miracles, we go here. This is where it is. But then let's also look at what God was telling him. Because like I said before, we can, we can understand that we should respond to God with a here I am. But if we don't know what God's asking us to do, makes no, there's no point. Maybe we can respond with here I am all day if we don't know what he's asking us to do. And so if we look at this kind of threefold reason of why he asked Moses to do what he did, right, first one, because God keeps his covenants, all right? The covenant he made to Abraham to lead them into the promised land, he was fulfilling through Moses and later through Joshua. And it also says in Exodus 6, 7, so this is later, God says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians." So the second reason God asked Moses to do it in this way was so that the Israelites would know that they were his, that he was their God, and that he would be known among the Egyptians. The third reason that we see repeated so much throughout Scripture is in Exodus nine fifteen sixteen. 16. This is God telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh. And God says, By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people, Pharaoh and Pharaoh's people, with a plague, and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. So why did God do it that way? God God says, he's like, actually he could have just wiped out Egypt. Been like, all right, Israel, you're free. Let's go worship me on the mountain now. But he didn't do it that way. He did all these plagues and he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we're like, why, God, why would you do that? And he says... Um, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. And that's what Jesus tells us to do before he ascends. Go make disciples of all nations. The whole point is that God be glorified on the whole earth. That's what we're saying, here I am, too, is glorifying God. So I ask you, if you don't know how your life is glorifying God, look here, I'll give you some tips. Here's a way to glorify me. Oh, look, here's another way to glorify God. Oh, sweet, awesome. I actually did flip to a good one, (laughs) ironically. Um, And so that's the thing. Our lives are here to glorify God, and the way we get that guidance is through this burning bush. We don't need our neighbor's rose bush to be aflame. All right, so worship team, if you guys could head on up. We're gonna now transition into a time when we can respond to God, just like Moses responded You know, here's a moment where we can say, here I am, Lord. We can commune with him, with actual communion, remembering Jesus' blood that was shed for us. We can respond with worship. We can respond in giving all ways that glorify God and make further his name on this earth. And it really is a privilege, you guys. I mean, we live in a time and place where God has already given us a story, One continuous story of his name being glorified. And it's not often that we have access to God so so personally. For thousands and thousands of years, this wasn't available. And if we just treat this as just a little prop on our shelves, we're never going to be able to say, here I am, to what he's calling us to. Um, And so with that... um, Yeah, go ahead and take it away, Bailey.